Hi, this is Ananda, president of the Hare Krishna community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. Thank you. I was given a mission or a theme at this talk, which I'm grateful for, by the way, and it's to encourage you to read Srila Prabhupada's books. And people do things that give them a benefit. We are all risk-benefit analysis in our self-calculations, what we're going to do with our time. And Prabhupada's books, I hope to give you a few pictures in your mind of news you can use and to give you a sampling of the practical and valuable jewels to be found in Srila Prabhupada's books. It's, well, hopefully it'll be self-evident. I'll do my best. And I was also thinking, <clears throat> there we go, my little friend. Hey, there's a nice children's program going on. Anyway, the, um, there's a calculation. What makes us happy? Everyone's looking for happiness. I mean, even, what is it? Anamoya, pranamoya, vigyanamoya, jnanamoya. There's different levels and different definitions of happiness. A plant will turn towards the sun. It's looking for happiness by getting sun. You know, a, a bull fills his belly, gets some grain. That's a type of happiness. Uh, people listen to uh, music, or you know, they, there's the 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 delivery system of that happiness is one thing, but the desire for happiness is universal. So. Let us look at that universal. We all want to become happy. I mean, I, we may have some closet masochists here, but it, I think generally speaking, people want to become happy. Now, we have a ethos or a thrust or a drive or a permeating our culture and experience is the impression that conditions will make us happy. If I just get the right conditions. Frankly, I'm born and raised in California and I came out here to the winter in December and Krishna has kindly sent some nice sunny weather. So I'm thinking, oh, the conditions are very nice. <clears throat> I was flying on ISKCON business one time from New York City <clears throat> to Puerto Rico. And in the airport, JFK, there are all these posters. Tranquil scene, aquamarine water, nice white sand, four 
footprints, two sets of footprints, because no one likes to be alone. And it was advertisement. It was saying, going nuts in this big city. All the chaos and confusion and cacophony of noise. Go to Puerto Rico. Peaceful, tranquilo, enjoy. Okay. So I flew to Puerto Rico. Uh, When I arrived in Puerto Rico, I swear to you, in the San Juan airport, even before I got outside, was a big poster. Bright lights. It was a nighttime scene of New York City, all the bright lights. And it said, going nuts on this little island with nothing to do. Go to New York where the action is. So I said, well, hang on a minute. Everybody in New York thinks they're happy in Puerto Rico. Everybody in Puerto Rico thinks they're happy in New York. But is it halfway at 30,000 feet over, I don't know what, Atlanta? Is that where happiness is? So, I mean, that's a simple example, but the conditions are going to make us happy. No. Um, The Buddhists say, and they have a point, nothing is certain but change. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, the material nature is constantly mutable. If my happiness is based on conditions, and conditions are constantly in a state of flux, what does that say about my happiness? Help me out. It's constantly shifting. I'm constantly chasing after it. I'm either trying to get it, I'm trying to maintain it, and I'm lamenting that I've lost it. The mind is in these states, hankering and lamenting, sankalpa and vikalpa, hankering and lamenting. So it is a constant frustration, frankly, and a fruitless, a fool's errand, trying to find happiness based in conditions. As they say in California, excuse me, uh, I'm bursting with California aphorisms, uh, you're cruising for a bruising. If your happiness is based on conditions and conditions always change, then what does that say for your happiness? So does that leave us in some existential angst of the, you know, just live a good life and be stoic and suffer through? No. What actually makes us happy, the actual happiness based on consciousness, Our consciousness is what determines our happiness. You can have two people in the exact same place, experiencing externally the exact same warm weather, this, that, so many things. But if somebody's got on their mind a bunch of pressures, they're not happy. So consciousness is really the determining factor. It is the medium by which we experience this world. The sense perception, all the different information coming in from the senses, that's one thing. But how is it filtered, processed, and experienced? That's determined by our consciousness. So really, the intelligent thing to do is find how to have the proper consciousness. Now, to help out with that and to elaborate with the point I'm trying to make, people make New Year's resolutions. It's still January, isn't it? What is it, January 12th? So, you know, to become a better self, to lose weight, to be kinder, whatever it is. You know, people make so many different... And usually they last about a month, if that's being kind, you know. So, 
But let's, I want to talk, what I'm going to, these are examples from the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And it's Krishna talking to Uddhava and from there it goes to um, the Avadut Brahman is talking to King Yadu. This is what lies within the Bhagavatam. And they are pictures how to adjust our consciousness to deal with this world. How to actually be happy in spiritual consciousness. It's some examples. So that's what we're going to do. It's called Examples from the Natural Path, the 11th Canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. And it's to encourage you that to mine, like an like a expert miner digs a vein and gets out the gold and find, you know. So it's to help us all know what is there, the riches in Srimad Bhagavatam. Because again, our conditions are not going to make us happy. People, I was at a funeral. I'm a priest and it, we go all the time. And they were eulogizing this man. Well, I'll say it short because I want to cover some things. People are remembered not for what they had. You never have a eulogy and they stand up and they say, you know, he had a brand new Ferrari. You never hear that. You never hear, well, you know, it was that big screen TV. I really remember him for that. People are remembered for their qualities and they're remembered not for what they have, but for what they gave. That's actually what people are remembered for. So in a similar fashion, it's not the conditions that are going to make us happy. It is our consciousness. Therefore, the intelligent thing to do is how to develop our consciousness. And these examples from the Bhagavatam, that's a cell phone. <laughs> so, that's all right. You get three strikes and then you're out. So American baseball. So these are examples from the Bhagavatam that are intended to help us how to mold our consciousness. Okay? So that's what we're going to do. And what time? We go till 1 o'clock? Tell me the truth. Oh, 2 o'clock. We'd have to run time backwards, wouldn't we? <laughs> um, so what can we learn from the earth? Anyone know what the pop... What is the population of the 7 billion? Thank you very much. No, we need, a fa we need a fact guy or a fact person. It's always helpful. So you can imagine what the... I'm going to give you a hint. The earth is carrying 7.2 billion people. Imagine the weight of that. Does the earth... Does the planet falter? Does it take a dip when the population goes up in China? So what can we learn from the earth according to the Bhagavatam? Don't, there's no wrong answer. You can guess. I mean, we'll all be friends. Don't worry about it. Yeah. To carry a great weight without faltering. Goodbye, my little friend. I raised two kids. I know exactly what it's like. Don't worry. Don't. So who, somebody else, something over here we can learn. To be very steady. To expect that there, the 
Avadut expands it, just like a mountain. You know, picture a mountain, and the storm is pounding against it. Does the mountain move? Does the mountain say, hey, I'm done, man. I'm, going to, I'm moving to Florida. It takes it. It tolerates it. Because the storm will come, and the storm will go. So that's what we can learn. Tolerance, forbearance, to expect that there will be difficulty in life. It's, as they say in Italy, there's always a rock in your shoe. There's always something. That is the nature of this place. So to be tolerant. What can we learn? And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also uses this. Well, this is another example. What can we learn from, uh, from a tree? Somebody said tolerance. Some, I mean, the tree stands there. It's hot. It's cold. I think it's a torture. Don't they call it one of the... You have to stand with your arms up. You know, how long can we stand like that with the arms up, you know? So it's in a diff the tree is in a difficult position. People carve their names on a tree. People snap off the branches. To be frank, dogs offer their respect in their own fashion. It's not always such an easy thing to be a tree. But in spite of that, what does the tree do? I, you did... <laughs> Sorry. I want to let some other people let it flow. What, thank you. I mean, I appreciate your enthusiasm. We'll, we'll get back to you. No, I mean, seriously, I appreciate it. So, tree, in spite of being in a difficult condition and in spite of being taken advantage of, unappreciated, what does a tree continue to do? What are some gifts? The voice are saying? In the back, some people in the back. What, what, is a, what do trees do? They give shade. I hadn't thought of oxygen. They give oxygen. They give. They're always. You never get a tree that says, "Hey, shade for you," but not that guy over there. I'm moving if he comes over here. You know. They give their fruit. So, in spite of, they continue to give. They're tolerant. We can learn from a tree, and they continue to give. So, those are some things we can learn from a tree, um, and to not always. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says, "Amani manadena," that. You know, we're always expecting, well, people have to, well, certainly speaking for myself, oh, I have to be recognized, they have to be appreciated, look, you know. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, and I think, anyway, to, to quietly serve, Prabhupada told me personally that very soon, by practicing Krishna consciousness, your happiness will become simply knowing Krishna is pleased. It's not if my senses are titillated or people are honoring and appreciating me. But Krishna is pleased. Krishna is pleased, I become happy. You water the roots of the tree, the whole tree is nourished. So these are some things we can learn from a tree. What can we learn from the air or from the wind? What is the wind always doing? Moving. Yeah, it's blowing. It's always blowing. Now if we so we're sitting here and what sometimes passes through our nostrils sitting here in the temple now, who said incense yeah nice fragrant smell of the incense smells very pleasant uh sometimes if you're outside or if you're in the shoe room or 
What other things may enter your nostrils? Sometimes nasty smells, isn't it? So sometimes pleasant, sometimes nasty. So the, it's always changing. But the wind remains neutral. So we have to expect there will be difficulty, there will be ease, there will be pleasing things, there will be unpleasant things. That is just the nature. But the wind remains equipoised. So we should remain neutral. We should expect these things. And that it's transitory. Sometimes, you know, things are great, sometimes they are. That shouldn't be our basis. All right, here's another one. Um, what can we learn from the moon? What is the moon? Oh, people used to tell time by the moon. So what is the moon doing? What, when you Here's a low, softball, underhand pitch. The moon goes through different phases. It looks different, isn't it? Sometimes there's a full moon, there's a half moon, there's a sliver of a moon, there's a new moon, right? In the back, ladies in the back, you guys cool it. Sorry, just for the moment. Is the moon actually changing its shape, ladies in the back? No, what? What do you mean? I can see it right there in front of my face. Full moon, half moon. I've got a, a, a lunar calculator on my uh, phone. What do you mean it's not? I'm playing with your mind. Defend your answer. Is the moon changing shape? It's simply how we... Oh, there's someone's about the bird. Is the moon changing its shape? Thank you, young lady. Way to go, you nailed it. Perfect, perfect. She said that actually it's the sun reflecting off the moon. The moon is a constant. It's round. But our angle of vision and how the sun... So the moon is the same, but how we're perceiving it changes. Way to go. Um, similarly, we think we're this body. Body's changing. I was an old man. Anyone know the riddle of the Sphinx? Again, this side. Riddle of the Sphinx. What is on four legs in the morning, two legs at noon, and three legs in the evening? Anyone know? What animal? Defend your answer. Why? How is it possible? Baby is four legs. Standing is two legs. And I rest my case. <laughs> so it's... I don't mean to offend anybody, but it's my nature. Please, I, you're a tolerant audience. Um, I was at the, the Los Angeles Rathayatra, and I'm usually in the free prashadam booth, which is a whole lot of fun. Um, but I like to slip out and hear the question and answer booth. You know, different devotees and it's a lot of fun. So it was Jayadwaita Swami was in the booth. And I was way in the back and no offense, but there were two very large people. I mean, they were land whales. They were big size. And I, frankly, and I was trying to see, you know, the Swami. I was, 
And Jadwaita Swami said, the beginning of spiritual knowledge, the actual beginning of human intelligence, is to understand that we are not this body. And one of these big guys turned to his friend and said, boy, that's a relief. <laughs> Which I thought, on their own way, they kind of got to the point, you know. Um, I need a glass of water. I'm sorry to ask, but is there anybody has got any? I don't know what to do. Oh, is it okay? Thanks. So, it is an enormous relief. You ever seen... I saw a man, I was at the doctor's office, I saw a man on the scale, sucking his stomach on the scale. You ever seen that? <laughs> Come on. Talk about self-delusion, you know. It doesn't make any difference in what you weigh, you know. Or people with a comb over. There's a, you know, they comb, they're bald and they... You know? I mean, we all, we've all got... A, I could pick on myself for all day, but we have our things. But the point is, the huge relief that we're not actually the body, but we're the soul within. I'll tell you another thing. It's a, it's a personal soulless for me. Because often in the, one of the symptoms, we are in the age of Kali. I'm assuming there's some knowledge base out there, so I'm going to skip over some things. Hello there. Um, what was I going to say? Ah, thank you. I'm just making sure you're listening. No, I actually did forget to tell you the truth. Um, the, one of the symptoms of the age of Kali, this climate that we're in, is quarrel and confusion and misunderstanding. And Prabhupada says it so nicely in the Bhagavatam. All of this comes out of Prabhupada's Bhagavatam, by the way. So, so read it. Open it up. Read wherever you like. Prabhupada said that the Bhagavatam is like a sugar tree. I don't know the species name or everything. There's a tree, Prabhupada says, it's in India, that you can, the twigs, the leaves, the branches, the bark, it's all sweet. So Prabhupada said the Bhagavatam, you just open it up. And you open up, if you just like the storyline, read the storyline. If you find a certain section that interests you, read a section. But it's, it is a sugar tree of news you can use. So, in the age of Kali, Thank you very much. It is a, even amongst natural allies, is the way Prabhupada says, he said, you know, father and son, husband and wife, two friends, there's quarrel, there's confusion, there's misunderstanding. So Krishna says, there's a sutra from the Bhagavatam, Bhavagrihi Janardhanam, that Krishna's in everyone's heart and Krishna knows everyone's bhav or mood or intention. In that particular case is the way Prabhupada translated. So we're trying to help people. We're trying to do good. We're trying to be a nice person. Or, you know, people misunderstood or whatever it was. But at least Krishna knows. So we're not this body. We're not the frailties of this body. Just as the moon is changing its phases, the body is changing. But we're the eternal soul within. We are timeless. So that's something we can learn by, from one of the natural gurus, the moon. Let's see what else. Oh, what can we learn from the sea, from the ocean? If you look at the ocean, well, you're sort of close to the ocean, Washington, D.C. Anyway, 
If you look at the ocean and it's stormy, what will you see on the ocean, on the surface? That's a big hint. Waves, they call them white caps, or it's being tossed and turned and stormed. And there even, you know, there's a typhoon, or what do we call it here, a hurricane, or is it hurricane? Tsunami, that's the word, thank you, that's the word I was looking for. And the boats are being tossed and turned. But if you go down deep, what's happening? It's completely steady and peaceful. So it's tossing and turning on the surface. So if we are superficial in our views and our values and our basis and our moorings in the world, we will be tossed and turned. But if we're deep in our understanding of who we are and what this world is, hello, my little friend, and, and what our purposes are, then we're undisturbed. So we can learn from the ocean. Now, another thing. This is uh, that great oracle of truth, Google. Google Images. Do, go home. It's the one thing you're going to remember. <laughs> go home and do a Google search on um, Delta of the Nile. Or Delta of the... My point is... What are the big rivers? There's the Ganga, of course, there's the Congo, there's the Amazon, there's the Mississippi. I forget what they are. But, I mean, the Amazon River, where it comes out into the Atlantic, it brings silt. It is so much water that three to six miles out into the Atlantic Ocean, it's brown from all the earth that's coming out and the water that's being... And somebody gave me the calculation how many millions of tons of water are flowing out of the Mississippi into the Gulf of Mexico. Now, if you think about it for a moment, think just pick those nine major rivers, billions of tons of water pouring into it. But how is if you're walking along the beach, the shore of the ocean? I mean, if I turn on the faucet in a bathtub, what happens? And I just let it run? Yeah, it overflows. So think about all that water flowing into the ocean. This is Krishna's example from Bhagavad Gita and confirmed here in the Bhagavatam examples. What happens to the ocean in spite of all that water entering into it? Does it overflow? I mean, you would think it would. I mean, I mean, and there's reasons why. But the point is it remains steady. Now, in the Bhagavatam it explains that the ocean is steady. But the rivers are flowing into it. So we have to expect there will be causes of agitation. There are disturbance, just like rivers flow into the ocean. We have to, flowing through the nine gates of the body, so many rivers of information are flowing. We're going to be disturbed. But we can meditate on the ocean, how it remains deep. So disturbances will come. And, but if we, we need spiritual practices, how do we become deep? If you rise early in the morning, it's peaceful. You chant the holy name on Japa Mala. Take, people talk about taking mini vacations. Take a mini mental vacation. Mini means small, not mini, but you can also take mini. Take mini, take mini, mini vacations. Rise early in the morning, chant japa, have a little bhajan, read the Bhagavatam. Moor oneself in that deepness for when the inevitable rivers will enter into the ocean, we will be peaceful. So that's what we can learn from the ocean. Um, what can we learn from the honeybee? 
What are some sayings about the bee? Oh, help me out. What are bees, what do they say? Oh, somebody's as... Oh, that, well, hang on, that's a good one. Busy as a bee, busy as a bee. If I'm, if I'm efficient and I go right from point A to B, what do they say? He, was, he made a bee line. You never see the bees just hanging out. You ever see a bee just chilling? Say, hey, man. I had all that nectar. I'm taking a break. I'm taking a nap. You never see a, you know, a bee nodding off. I mean, they are, you know. So the bees work very hard. And what are bees busy making? But what happens to the honey? The beekeeper comes, smokes the bee, stuns them, and the beekeeper takes the honey. So we're working very, very hard. But actually time comes and takes everything away. We should meditate on that. We're working so... You know, I'm from California. They have a bumper sticker that says, um, uh, the one who dies with the most toys wins. Now, I read that. And I said, well, hang on a minute. The one who dies with the most toys still dies. Where do the toys go? I mean, the dimwit relatives inherit the toys, and you know, who knows where you went, you know? So we can learn from the bee that we're working very hard but what is the real benefit? People recycle. I don't know, you guys recycle here, but you know, and they're fine, hey, Mother Earth, by all means recycle. <coughs> and Vedic tradition, I mean, well, that's a whole other thing. They were the original recyclers. But we should cycle into two piles. You know, with a plastic and biodegradable and that, you know, you... Sat and Asat, these two piles, what is permanent and what is temporary. Chanakya Pandit says, one should never give up the permanent for the temporary. Never give up the permanent for the temporary. Why? You'll lose both. We're back to nothing certain but change. We can't hold on to it. So why not it intelligently, the intelligent thing to do is find out what's permanent, what lasts, what is sat. So that's what we can learn from a bee. Um, and I'm looking at the time. Um, what can we learn from the spider? What are spiders doing? What do spiders, well, I mean, they're doing a lot of things. But what, do you, what are spiders usually associated with? You got it. Yeah, what is it? Spiders make webs. And they can also wind it up. Prabhupada says in the Bhagavatam that every living entity has its own mystic power. I was wondering, why don't squirrels freeze? <laughs> Welcome to my world. This is the kind of thing I'm thinking about. You know? But, you know, anyway. And Prabhupada explains in the Bhagavatam that by the, by the fins... Uh, the, the fish can sense when a predator is coming. So every living entity has its own kind of mystic power. You know, has some vulture can see three miles high or whatever it is, you know. So it's an amazing thing that the spider can make that web and wind it up. It can make it and wind it up. 
So what we can learn, because this one's a little tough, I'll help you out. What we can learn from the spider is how this world is manifest and wound up. It's manifest and wound up. And why that matters, look at many reasons, but one reason, I'll tell you a story. Told to me by Tamal Krishna Goswami, one of the great heroes in the founding of the Hare Krishna movement. So Tamal Krishna Maharaj was a brahmachari at the time, and he was the temple, he had become the temple, this is 1968, something like that. And he was the temple, he was appointed as the temple commander of the Los Angeles temple. At that time, it was the biggest temple in ISKCON. It had about 30 residents in it and a congregation of about 75 who I was living there showed up at just in time for the feast. So it was a tenuous relationship. Um, but the, so he was made the temple commander of, he wasn't even the temple president or the temple treasury, he was the temple commander. But he asked Prabhupada, and he told me the story himself. He said, Prabhupada, I've got this important position. I'm, I'm the temple commander. And I'm afraid that I'm going to be, you know, intoxicated with the prestige of this power. And, and it may go to my head and I don't want to become... No, it's a good prayer. He was thinking properly that I don't want to become infected by false ego. So what do I do? And Prabhupada said, you can think that Lord Krishna expands, you know, he lies down as Mahavishnu. And from his body, so many universes emanate. And then in every universe, there are so many planets. And every planet, so many continents. Every continent, so many countries. Every country, so many states. Every state, so many counties. Every county, so many cities. Every city, so many streets. Every street, so many houses. Every house, so many rooms. And in one of those rooms is Tamal Krishna Brahmachari thinking I'm very important. <laughs> so sometimes it helps to keep things in perspective. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be practical and do the needful. But if we think, really? Do I really need to blow a gasket over this? Or... You know, I'm chasing after this thing. What is it if I get it? What is my real business? So these are a few clues, things we can learn from the Bhagavatam. And the Bhagavatam is a treasure house because after, the, the, as I was saying initially, if our consciousness isn't fixed up, if our consciousness isn't correct, then we are... I had a car. Anyway, it had a lot of interesting features. But one of the features was it had been completely totaled. And therefore, when it was of absolutely no use, oh, I'll donate it to the temple for, <laughs> for a tax write-off. You know, talk about milking a cow for all it's worth. So this car had been smashed and it was bent out of alignment. You know, it was out of alignment. So if you wanted to go straight, you had to like, you know, I, I, really, I was like aiming it like this to get it to go. I got a regular car, whoop, I almost cracked. I had to, you know, counter adjust. So to adjust according to the alignment of things, we have to realize we're under a lot, so many pressures. Do you know that supermarkets, they're a grocery store, 
is it is diabolically designed. Oh, it is not a benign experience. There's no windows. So you don't notice the passage of time. There's no clocks. You may run in, casinos are the same way. You may run in the back, you just want to get some milk and some bread or whatever it is. You know, of course, we take Bisham, whatever, you know, you got the principle. That's all in the back. Why? Because the little living entity with the, from contemplation attachment develops, Krishna says in the Gita, profound psychology, best understanding of human psychology is in Bhagavad Gita. You know, you're wandering to the back. You just want to get that, gla that milk or orange juice or whatever. And then you have all these other things. And before you know it, you got this huge jumbo cart. And you're, what happened? You know? So, we need to fix our consciousness. We need to invest. We are in, everybody's, you got college fund. The kid comes out of the womb and you got a college fund started for him. And I'm not criticizing that. You know, people are putting away money for their retirement fund. We're making so many calculations for the future. But what about the one thing that's guaranteed? And that's not your IRA return. What's the one thing that's guaranteed? Yudhisthira Maharaj was asked by Krishna, Actually, I think by one of the Gandharvas, but it's a whole story. In the Bhagavatam, what is the most wonderful thing in this world? And it wasn't the latest iPhone. What's the most wonderful thing in this world? Who's saying? Yeah. Don't be shy. All around us, everyone's dying. People are dying. But we think there's a famous American poet, well, how famous, but there's an American poet, William Carlos William, and he said, I knew that man was mortal, but I always thought an exception would be made for me. <laughs> but it doesn't work like that, you know? So I'm gonna, we're just going to have a quick recap and then we'll be done um, of these eight examples from the Bhagavatam, what we can learn. Because I want to you know, as much, whatever. But my intent is let you go home with a couple pictures that will help, you, you know, because we're all in the same boat, ultimately, you know. Um, help us deal with some of the issues and anxieties and to realize the practical value of becoming Krishna conscious. And the way to become, the, one of the best ways to become Krishna conscious or deepen our consciousness is by reading the Srimad Bhagavatam. That it's not wasted time, it's not for my grandmother, it's not, no. It is profound news that I can use. Okay? That's what we're trying to do here. So just we'll have a quick recap. What can we learn from the earth? Tolerance. We can call out because that will be faster. Tolerance, patience, steadiness. Okay, good. What can we learn from a tree? To be tolerant, giving, way to go my friend, uh, to not discriminate, to be kind to all, okay? Uh, what can we learn from the air? Oh. Oh. What can we learn from the air? That things are going to change, circumstances are going to change. And we have to be steady and equipoised and not get so bent out of all you know, the world, the sky is falling. Okay, what can we learn from the ocean?
Okay, well, yeah, we'll say it together. Because you're all saying it. It's disturbed on the top, so many petty issues, you know, what do they call it, a tempest in a teacup? So many different things are happening. But the ocean, because it's deep, is undisturbed. Also, what is always entering into the ocean? So what does that mean? Hey, man, I surrendered to Krishna. I'm chanting Hare Krishna. It should be smooth sailing. How come there's difficulty? If I get, this is a smart young man. Young man, I'm going to give you a piece of coal. You know what coal is? Black coal. And I want you to scrub it nicely for me. I'm going to give you a brush and some handy dandy swami cleaner. And you scrub that and you make it white. Can this young man do it? What, what, what? He's energetic. I gave him Swami's handy-dandy expert cleaner. He's got a scrubber. Why can't he make it white, that piece of coal? You both got it. It is the nature of the thing. We're eternal and everything around us is temporary. Oil and water. You think it's not going to mix? You think there's going to be a little friction there? It is the nature of the place. So that, therefore, it is the na- let me get about my real business. Disturbance is the nature of the place, like rivers entering into the ocean. That's what we learn from the ocean. And what do we learn from the bee? Busy like a bee, making a bee line. Don't distract me. I got my. In the, I don't have time to read. I don't have time to chant. Wait, wait, wait. We want to let others. I appreciate your utsaha. I'll tell you a quick story about enthusiasm. We'll end on that a prophet story. So. What, what do we learn from the bee? Who enjoys the bee's hard work? Beekeeper, not the bee. So we're working hard. We're stacking up all that stuff. But what happens? Death taps us on the shoulder and says, bye-bye, wave goodbye. If it's even that polite, death's that polite. Okay, and what do we learn from the spider? Hmm? What is the spider doing? Making a web? So and winds it up. Well, so what? I'm not studying, you know, whatever the study of bees are, spiders. What do we learn from that? This universe is manifest and unmanifest. It can it can come and it goes, and therefore we're not disturbed about that. We reckon, we focus on the higher things. So we can in there. I think we're right about time. Yeah. Hey, look at that. So, um, I'll tell you, Krishna, the time I am. I'll tell you, just because just this young boy, young man was very enthusiastic. It doesn't really have a purple, but it's kind of fun. Prabhupada came to the Detroit temple. This is 1975, because we were in the old temple. And there was a young kid, a young boy, probably about f- four years old. His name was Vaishnav Das. And he'd never seen Prabhupada, but he, you know, all of his life, he's there for four years, but he'd been growing, you know, Prabhupada, Prabhupada, Prabhupada. So Prabhupada had actually come. So Prabhupada was sitting in the temple room giving Bhagavatam class, just getting ready to give Bhagavatam class. And little Vaishnav ran into the temple room to see Prabhupada. And I think they call it a onesie, you know, like a pajama that's all one piece, you know, it zips up the front. So he tripped on the, on the, he didn't hurt himself, but he tripped on the door jam, you know, the little, you know, little piece of marble there or whatever, you know, round. and he tripped on that and he hit the floor. But because he was running and it was a buffed marble floor, 
sing. He shot across the floor. He wasn't hurt, but literally he shot a good 20 feet across the floor. You know, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Vaishnav. Zing, you know. And he landed like this, right at Prabhupada's Vyasasan. And Prabhupada looked down and said, Ah, Dandavats. You know? <laughs> like the kid was a... And then Prabhupada said, Utsaha. One must have enthusiasm for spiritual life, you know. So it is such a prize, such a jewel. The one thing that solves all things is let me become Krishna conscious, let me become Krishna's devotee, and let me do that by reading Srila Prabhupada's books. Okay, thank you for sitting so patiently. Hare Krishna.